0: In today's episode, we'll be speaking to Dr. Justin Varney, former strategic advisor for Public Health England and the director of public health at Birmingham City Council. We'll be talking about why we should be talking more about death, why we should be getting into the habit of using video conferencing on a daily basis, and why the government isn't necessarily to blame for a shortage in PPE, amongst other things. My name is Marvin Fithian, and this is The Live Ape. Hello everyone, Uh, welcome to another episode of the Live Ape Talks Coronavirus. So we have the US has now passed half a million cases and it's on course to have a third of all global cases. The UK has now reached 10,000 deaths and has a chance of taking second spot overall. I keep hearing all this talk of Americans wanting to escape to Mexico and Europeans wanting to escape to Africa. Oh, how things change. Anyway, today's episode is sponsored. Potty about my planet. That's right, potty about my planet. A little while back, I ordered some environmentally friendly toilet paper. My wife wasn't too happy, but after using it, it's now become a regular order. Why is it ethical? Because of bamboo, which is the single most renewable source of plant-based materials for manufacturing products on Earth. It uses less water, generates more oxygen and removes more carbon dioxide from the air than any trees. Bamboo grows over 30 times faster than conventional trees. doesn't require you to replant it after harvesting, unlike trees typically used for toilet paper. So, if you want to avoid the scramble for toilet roll and save the planet at the same time, visit pottyaboutmyplanet.com. If you use the voucher code MARVIN10, you'll get 10% off your first order. Yes, it's a little more expensive than normal toilet paper, but it's just as soft. I know that because my wife wouldn't let me get it otherwise. And more importantly, there are more sheets on every roll versus the leading soft toilet tissue provider. So, pottyaboutmyplanet.com and the discount code MARVIN10. Genuinely, highly recommended. And if you want to send any jokes about my podcast being sponsored by Toilet Roll, feel free to send them to theliveape at yahoo.com. So, on with the show. Today's interview is with Dr. Justin Varney, the Director of Public Health for Birmingham City Council. Prior to this, Dr. Varney was the National Strategic Advisor on Health and Work at Public Health England. He trained in general practice before specialising in public health medicine and now works across the council and with other partners to improve the health and well-being of citizens, including during this challenging time dealing with the coronavirus. And so I started by asking Dr Varney about the difficulties he and people in his position are facing when dealing with these emergency measures.
1: I think the challenges when you look at responding to an emergency like the coronavirus outbreak are that this is really a marathon, not a sprint. This is um, a battle, a war, not an individual battle actually, so often you're faced with challenges every day, you have to think quickly, um, but you also have to find a way to pace yourself and, and most importantly you have to find time to turn off and switch off. Um, and build some space into your week because it's really easy for this to consume you completely and and you just burn out.
0: As Director of Public Health for Birmingham City Council, you must be involved with the coordination of the Birmingham Nightingale Hospital. Is it still due to open on the 12th of April? And can you tell us a little more?
1: The Nightingale Hospital in Birmingham is on track to open as planned uh, before the Easter weekend. Uh, it's all going to schedule. It's a different model from London. So its emphasis is more on supporting patients that don't need intensive care type treatment. Uh, and that's being retained in the hospitals themselves. Uh, and certainly everything that I'm aware of uh, from a public health perspective is in place. Uh, and I know colleagues in the NHS have worked incredibly hard to turn this round at speed and ensure that it's fit for purpose and that it works within our local health economy uh, and the context of the hospitals in Birmingham.
0: Obviously the availability or shortage of PPE is in the public eye right now. Due to the new research on microparticles and airborne dangers, the World Health Organization has raised the profile of the benefits of the public wearing masks What's your stance on this and how do you balance this with the shortage of PPE?
1: I get asked a lot about masks and, and whether everyone should be wearing them and and the advice both from WHO and from uh, the National Health Service and the government in the UK is that you should be wearing a mask if you leave the house if you are symptomatic, but actually you just shouldn't be leaving the house. You should be isolating at home while you have symptoms. The risk with everyone wearing the mask is that masks act like a bit of a sponge on your face. So um, the virus can stick on the outside of the mask and it's a great environment because you're breathing, it's nice and warm, and on the outside of mask, it has a field day. Uh, And then when you take that mask off, unless you're very careful, the risk is that you spread the virus not onto your hands, but also onto your face as you're taking the mask off. And if you don't dispose of that mask properly, it itself is also a little hub of, of infection. So there are risks with with lots of people wearing masks when they're not needed. Um, and actually, the evidence base suggests that unless you are within a metre of someone else who's got symptoms um, or two metres out in public, um, then the risk is very low, and and so you know, I wouldn't necessarily rush for everyone to buy, go out and buy masks. If you want to wear them, fine. But frankly, we need them uh, the proper masks where they're needed most, which is in our health and social care system by people that are delivering intimate personal care, not for people going down to the supermarket.
0: Within the Nightingale Hospital and Birmingham hospitals in general, there will obviously be some discussion about ventilator provision.
1: Do you have any concerns about provision currently? I have to say, as Director of Public Health, uh, ventilator provision isn't part of my responsibility, but I am aware that across uh, Birmingham and Solihull, the area in which I work, Um, We have uh, good provision, we have one of the largest hospitals in Europe Uh, and although the use is fluctuating, uh, the bigger demand for most patients is actually to get oxygen rather than to get mechanical uh, help with their breathing. Uh, And so far where we are at the moment, uh, we're doing okay and we have the capacity that we need.
0: It's increasingly becoming apparent that a number of schools, small businesses and everyday people are busy making masks and visors and overalls, citing a demand from non-medical industries as well as hospitals such as care homes, mental health, retail. What are your thoughts on this and does this highlight failures by the government to provide sufficient PPE?
1: I think it's fair to say there have been some challenges over personal protective equipment through this outbreak. They've not just been in the UK, they've been globally. Um, I know within my own council, we put in orders for hand sanitizers, for example, uh, back at the beginning of February when things were just starting to to ramp up. So we were pretty ahead of the curve in getting our orders in. Um, They still haven't been delivered. So um, I don't think really you can criticize asked uh, particularly for PPE. I think it's also important to recognise that the vast majority of PPE is not made in the UK, it's imported. Um, so there's been whole disruption going on uh, and the UK government has really been uh, fighting its corner hard to make sure that we can get access um, and where there are challenges to come up with a, a next best thing. And we've seen some great examples of that um, in Birmingham, for example. Uh, The council worked with the University of Birmingham to use the WHO recipe of hand sanitizer in the laboratories there. Uh, And literally over two days, we created 70 litres of hand sanitizer to support social workers and and people going into homes delivering personal care because we just couldn't get it through normal supply chains. So people have had to be innovative. Um, But I don't think it's a UK government issue. I do think it it is a global issue, is the PPE supply chains around the world have failed. Um, And that's because the reality is that this is the event that we never thought would happen. Um, And the PPE we need for coronavirus is a level above what we would see in an influenza outbreak. So to some extent, it was hard to prepare Um, both for the scale of this, but also the speed at which it's spread across the world. It's reaching the world, across the world, much, much faster than modelled or predicted. Um, So I think it has caught people a little bit by surprise, but I do think everyone is working really, really hard to do the best they can in the context of what's available and getting it into the people that need it most.
0: Okay another thing people always ask about is our testing procedures and why do you think it took so long for the government to respond and do you think Matt Hancock's aim to test 100,000 people per day by the end of April is realistic? So
1: the Secretary of State talked about an ambition to get to 100,000 people tested per day by the end of April. Now that's a real challenge. And and the challenge in this is on several levels. Um, One, it's about the chemicals, the reagents that we need to do the test. Um, Two, it's about laboratories having the kit in terms of the machinery and people trained to do the test. And three, it's about having the staff who are trained to do the test on someone to take the nasal swab or nasopharyngeal swab. So there are lots of different elements to get to that 100,000 people a day, and it is a really ambitious uh, target. Uh, given that only a couple of weeks ago we were just about getting to 10,000 people a week, so you know this is a major effort. And and as someone described it, it's not just the battleships; it's also the little ships that have been employed and are working on this. So I think we are on trajectory to, to get to that ambitious target. There are challenges. We know the tests aren't perfect themselves. Um, so there are false negatives in, in results. Uh, we know that the uh, virus, the antibody tests that, that the government purchased haven't shown to be reliable um, and that's a real risk. We don't want to give that false sense of security that someone has got antibodies and is immune. uh, And then uh, two days later they contract coronavirus and are very, very sick because they took risks that they shouldn't have been. So I think it's a huge effort, but frankly, you know, this is a kind of wartime mobilization. And and I think um, we've got a pretty good chance of achieving the, the trajectories that government have set. They are really ambitious, but I think everyone is working really hard to make them real. You've
0: spoken on social media about how we shouldn't be afraid of death. What advice would you give people dealing with bereavement at this time, particularly if they're unable to be with their loved
1: ones? Speaking about death is one of the things that I think we still struggle with as society. It's something that for many years we've been trying to change in the kind of British culture, and we still struggle to do so. Um, And it's makes it even harder at times like this, uh, where we need people to have the conversations about what is it you or I want um, at the end. Uh, and, and that includes conversations about whether you want to do not resuscitate uh, order or agreement, uh, whether you have a living will, um, and what you would like in terms of the way you want to be remembered when the time comes. Now, I know it's incredibly hard for families that are facing bereavement and can't see their loved ones, can't go and view the body, um, can't be involved in the rituals of their faith for washing the body because of the risk of infection. Um, but I suppose I, what I come back to is that those that are passed would want the living to go on living. You know, that fundamentally would be what they would want for you or I if if we were the ones that were left behind. Um, and therefore we have to honour that and, and honour that by going on living and protecting ourselves. Um, there will always be time to grieve. Grieving goes on for, for a long time. Um, it's not something that the funeral solves and you don't walk out of a funeral going there, I've done it, I've moved on. Um, a funeral is is a way of celebrating, a way of marking death but it isn't the answer to closure over the next few weeks and months I think we as society will come up with many ways to celebrate those that have lived and that we have lost I think more of us will turn to faith and spirituality to support us with those transitions and I think it is important that we talk about this, both with friends and family and as a society, because this is probably the largest number of people that have died in the UK and are going to die in the UK outside of a wartime situation. And that will be mean that almost everyone in society will be touched by this. We will all know someone or know someone who knows someone who died of coronavirus. So we can't avoid that conversation So my advice is for people to have it now. Don't wait till it happens. Talk to your parents, to your grandparents, to your friends, to your loved ones. What is it you want? How is it you want to be remembered? And have the conversation before you have to have the conversation. Because death is part of life. It's what makes it so special. And it is a reality that all of us will die at some point. Sadly, for some of us, coronavirus will bring it much sooner than we would like. So let's prepare and have those conversations before we have to have them.
0: And finally, what would you say to people who think it's okay to meet up with people so long as they maintain the appropriate social distancing?
1: So I'm often asked about if it's OK to go and meet up with friends if you keep your distance. And and I have to say, at the moment, I would say no. You know, the, the reality is government advice is quite clear. Only leave the house if it is essential to do shopping or to go for a short bit of physical activity in the area that's immediately around the place that you live. And really, we're thinking that's within a mile of where you live. You're only going out for up to an hour of physical activity. Um, I think that people really need to understand that the risk of coming into contact with a friend or someone you don't live with um, is that you'll forget, you'll reach out, you'll give them a hug, you'll shake your hand, you'll kiss, you'll share a a bottle uh, and pass it over into drink. Any one of those mistakes could pass the coronavirus. Any one of those mistakes could give it to you and take that back into your household and your home. That's why we're saying you need to keep that physical distance, that's why we're saying use every other mechanism to be socially connected, just don't meet in person. Use the phone, write a letter, whether it's uh, Facebook, WhatsApp, house party, whatever your app of flavour is, you know, what's been fantastic out of this is that we're becoming much more digitally able. Um, you know, My parents, who are both in their mid-70s, are now pretty fluent in, in house party uh, and in Zoom meetings uh, with myself, my sister and their grandchildren. Um, so use those mechanisms and I would say use them every day. It's really important for our mental health and well-being through this outbreak that we stay in contact every day. Send a text, make a telephone call, have a video chat with someone that's important to you. Reach out and make contact because that's what will help you stay mentally strong through the coming days, weeks and potentially months as we continue to protect ourselves and protect the country.
0: Thank you. Dr. Justin Varney, Director of Public Health at Birmingham City Council. And so we're coming to the end of today's podcast. I was pleasantly surprised with some of those answers. I thought some of his advice on death and speaking to people about death, I thought it showed a real confidence of wisdom. And also the importance of speaking to people, to reaching out to people through the video chatting on a day-to-day basis, you know, making it a habit, uh, something that I've done, but probably not as much as I should have done. So once again, a real informative interview and a sincere thank you to Dr. Justin Varney. And if you have any suggestions or questions about the interview or comments, you can like our Facebook page at The Live Ape, or you can email me, the live ape at yahoo.com. Next time we'll be speaking to someone on the ground in New York, a state that now has more cases on its own than any other individual country. So watch out for that one. Thank you once again for listening. My name is Marvin Fithian, and this has been The Live Ape. Stay safe, everyone.
1: Daddy's podcast.